Good morning and Boker Tov. Welcome back to Partial Perspectives for today. It is so incredible to see more and more of you. So grateful that you've made your way back. Help yourself to some coffee or refreshments in the back. And a big and special thank you to our generous sponsors of the Parsha series for the year. Dear friends Becky and Avi Katz and family, in memory of David Grossman, in memory of Becky's father, Lilinishmas, David Menachem Manish. This morning's Parsha Shir is also in particular sponsored by Lester and Judith Henner, marking the yurtzeit of Egon Henner, Yitzchak ben Yaakov, beloved father of Lester Henner, Harold Wolof, Ram Tzvi ben Benjamin Alter, father of Judy Henner, grandfathers of Benji and Zeldi Henner, Yoni and Dvorah Henner, and great-grandfathers as well. Thank you for that sponsorship. And by Ben and Dina Isaacs, Yudah and Linda Isaacs, Ben and Dina Isaacs, the 32nd year of Benjamin Isaacs, on the 5th of Kislev, Tuesday, November 10th. And lastly, by Sylvia, someone's got to pay for the refreshments in the back. By Sylvia Brody, in loving memory of Asher Yosef Brody's 19th year site, beloved husband, father, and grandfather, a very wonderful man. Thank you, Mrs. Brody, for that sponsorship. Thank you all for your generous sponsorship. If you'd like to sponsor a future sheer, we've made it very simple and easy for you. BRSonline.org slash sponsor. BRSonline.org slash sponsor. And you can easily sponsor a sheer in loving memory or in honor of someone. Last housekeeping announcement. And then we dive into Parshas Vayetze, page 144. We have so much to share. What a rich, beautiful Parsha. So many lessons to glean. So many Parsha perspectives for today. And that is the following. Take out your cell phone for a moment if you have one in front of you. If you do not yet receive our newsletter, there is a Parsha write-up. There are notes on the Parsha class every week. So if you want to be able to take what we learn and bring it to your Shabbos table, delivered right to your inbox, here's how you're going to do it. You ready? Text 22828. You're going to text the phone number 22828. Put REG. Text REG to 22828, and you will get the Parsha Perspective notes in your inbox each and every week. Big thank you to Matthew Miller, my friend who writes them up. Deeply appreciative to him. So if you'd like to have the notes on the ideas that we share, simply text REG. Happen to be my initials, REG. I mean, EG are my initials, R is not. I was not born with that initial. REG, text REG to 22828. Page 144, Parshas, as we always do, we pick up where we left off last week. Yaakov. It should recognize. Text REG to 22828. You don't need a whole phone number. REG. Just put in 22828. The letters R, as in Rabbi, E, as in Ephraim, G, as in Goldberg, REG to 22828, and you will be signed up. You will get a link to sign up for the newsletter. Vayetze Yaakov. Yaakov is on the run. Yaakov is fleeing. Yaakov is running for his life. He has just deceived his own brother, and he is on the run from him. By the way, my, I have a great chat with my brother and brother-in-law. And uh, because they're both exceptional people, often there are divrei Torah exchanged. And my brother-in-law brought up, and my brother said he was bothered by it too. In last week's parsha, give you a little bonus from last week's parsha, when Rivka sends Yaakov on his way and says, you better run because your brother's going to be after you. You better hit the road because of what happened. What does Rivka say to, to Yaakov? First of all, the end of the last week's parsha, Yaakov comes back to Yitzchak to get a bracha before he goes. And the Torah leaves out, very curiously, did Yitzchak say, what happened? Yaakov, you fooled me, you tricked me. What happened? It leaves it out, we don't know. But when Rivka warns Yaakov that he should go, what does she say to him? She says, you better go, because your brother's going to come after you for what you did to him. What do you mean what you did to him? If you're Yaakov, you say, Ah, uh, hello, Ma, you orchestrated the whole thing. 
I, this wasn't my idea. I didn't plan it. And maybe I performed it, I executed it, but this whole thing was your concoction. So Rivka's like, look, well, you better run. I, I had nothing to do with it, but you know what you did to your brother, what you did to your brother, you better get out of here. Why does Rivka frame it as what you did to your brother rather than taking responsibility? She was the one who through prophecy knew that Yaakov was the one. That is a little bonus question from last week's Parsha. So Yaakov is on the run. Vayetze Yaakov. Now everybody knows the famous Rashi that begins Parsha's Vayetze. Vayetze Yaakov. Why does the Torah begin by telling us Vayetze Yaakov Beersheba Vayelacharana? Why do we need to know where he exited from? Why do we need to know where is the departure gate? We all need to know where he's going to. We know where he's leaving from. So Rashi tells us, It is entirely gratuitous. You don't have to tell us where he left from. Just tell us where he's going to. So why do we tell us where he's leaving? Says Rashi, when a righteous person lives in town, you feel their righteousness. The energy of that righteous person, it permeates the entire community. You don't have to be interacting or talking or be in the same room with them, but simply to know they're there. When you know that righteous person lives among you, when you know they're in your community, that elevates, that raises the entire level of the community. And vayetze, when the righteous person leaves, when they leave even because they leave this world to the next, or they leave, they make Aliyah. Or they leave, there's nowhere to go from Boca other than Aliyah. So those are the two choices. Either you're going to the next world or Aliyah. Those are the only two legitimate places to go from Boca. But when a person leaves Vayetze, it leaves a Roshim. So the commentaries jump and they ask, Rav Eliezer Lapian, Rosh Hashiva of Torres Emes in London. He says, what do you mean? I don't understand. Avram and Yitzchak also departed. Avram and Yitzchak also left places. They migrated, they moved around. Why didn't the Torah make this observation when it came to Avram and Yitzchak? Why specifically when it comes to Yaakov? Do we mention Vayetze Yaakov? Oh, Sadik leaves a Roshem. There's a loss of the impression of the splendor of the light that the tzaddik had. So you know the answer says The answer is Avram. It's obvious it had a Roshim. Avram retired from being a Rosh Hashiva. Avram was the rabbi of the shul for many, 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 many decades. He had an influence. He had an impact. He transformed. You don't think they made him an enormous retirement party? You don't think that they celebrated all of his contributions as they helped him on his way? It's obvious. Of course, when Avram left, it made a Roshim and made an impression. It's obvious. Everybody knew it. Yitzchak too. Vayivan Shamizbeach. Yitzchak built an altar. Vayikro b'shem Hashem. He too taught. He too influenced. Yitzchak also spoke and had an impact on others. So it's obvious. When Avram left, it had an impact. It's obvious. When Yitzchak left, it had an impact. It's obvious. Why was it not obvious that Yaakov leaving would have an impact? Because Yaakov didn't have a big shul, and he wasn't a big Rosh Hashiva, and he wasn't a big orator, public speaker. Yaakov had a yeshiva. He sat and he learned all day. There was a little base medrash. There was a little library. And Yaakov found a little corner there and he kept to himself all day long. Yaakov wasn't preaching and teaching. Yaakov wasn't a Rosh Hashiva, a Ram, a Rebbe. Yaakov wasn't a Rav or a Dayan. Yaakov sat and he learned Torah. 
So you might have thought that the tzaddik, the Yoshev Olam, the one who sits in learning, it doesn't make a Roshim. Who cares that that guy left Kolel? What difference did it make? All he was doing was sitting and learning, taking from the community, being supported by others. What difference does he make that he's no longer learning in your community? You might have thought there's no Roshim. So that's why the Chiddush, that's why specifically here, Vayetze Yaakov, a tzaddik who leaves makes a Roshim. I, this tzaddik, wasn't a big orator, wasn't a big speaker, didn't lead programs, didn't lead missions to Israel, didn't lead trips, wasn't a Dayan, wasn't a Rosh Hashiva. He sat and he learned in the corner of the room. The answer is, yeah, the quiet person who's sitting and learning Torah is holding up the community. We don't realize, we don't realize. I'm very lucky, in some ways unlucky, but lucky. And I wouldn't trade my life for anyone else. I love teaching Torah. It is my life. It gives me joy. It energizes me. What a privilege and what a gift. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I, I don't remember if I said it in the parasha recently, but I had read a quote from another uh, person who speaks often, a popular speaker today. And someone said to him, you know, I'm jealous of your Olam Haba. You teach so much Torah. You inspire so many people. He said, my Olam Haba? I have no idea what my Olam Haba has in store. Maybe yours is greater, but you should be jealous of my Olam Haza. Be jealous of my life and my lifestyle in this world. I get to sit here, svarim, share, none of it's mine, to share the Torah of so many other people, such inspiration, such messages. Wow, it's unbelievable. So we know the people, their faces are in the magazines, they're promoted, they're features, they're recorded, they're streaming online, you hear them in person, we pack the place, Baruch Hashem. But what about the, the person sitting in the corner of the base Medrash? Nobody's even sure his name, but he's sitting there learning quietly to himself. Is he making a contribution? Is he making a difference? That's what the pshat is here in the Pasuk. Vayetze Yaakov. Know that it's not always the person in the spotlight who's the one who's holding up the community. Sometimes it's the anonymous, almost invisible person that's underappreciated and undernoticed, but who's sitting there and learning Torah, and that learning of Torah is a powerful merit for the community. That Rosham, that impression that they're leaving on the community of learning Torah, never minimize, never underestimate, never fail to appreciate those who are learning Torah, whether full-time and supported, or whether someone who has a profession, but ekes out time in the morning and in the night and is in the base medrash, they're not a big personality, they're not the magnetic personality, they're not standing on the chair, rah, 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 shalashudas, they're sitting in the corner learning, they're also making a Rosham. Rashmur Rozovsky, the Rashiv of Panovich, he says, You know what else the difference is? You might have thought Yitzchak leaving, what Roshim did it make? What loss was there? You know who was still there? His parents. Yitzchak and Rivka were still there. You still had very righteous people there. So what did it matter that Yaakov moved on? You still had the individuals from whom Yaakov himself drew his greatness. They were still there. So says the Rashiv of Panovich, says the Shumar Rizalski, no, Becholzos, Yitzias Yaakov Asas still his leaving diminished the community. The light was dimmed a little bit. Special people, inspirational people, the role models, the righteous men and women of the community, they each put off their own light. And when they leave, because they either leave the community or leave this world, the dimmer is turned down. The light is diminished. We miss and we long for the light that they have. And that's the Chiddush. There were other righteous people who remained. Yitzchak and Rivka remained. But still, Yaakov not being there, that had a big, that had a big impression. Next, the 
Medrash Barishas Rabbah on these words. We're going to get past the first Pasuk, I promise you. So the first Pasuk still. Yaakov leaves Be'er Sheva and he heads to Charan. Says the Medrash Rabbah, We all know the capital of David HaMelech. It's one of the popular ones to say when we are in need of a salvation of a Yeshua. Shir Lamalas, Esayinai, I raise my eyes, El Harim, to the mountains. B'shosheh Baruch Yaakov Me'esav Amar, Esayinai, El Harim. Says the Medrash, whether it means that Yaakov anticipated or that this is simply metaphorical, allegorical, or did Yaakov actually compose the capital? I understand that David HaMelech is the one who later wrote it in Tehillim. But says the Medrash that Yaakov, when he prayed, when he davened, on the road and on the run, fleeing for his life, what did he say? I raised my eyes to the mountains. So the Medrash says the following, Yaakov panicked. He said, you know, when my grandfather sent out Eliezer to go find a wife for my father, to go find my mother, he sent Eliezer, Eliezer with great wealth, with great riches. You gotta close the shidduch today. You know how many carrots? Clarity. Carrots, clarity, cut. Is that it, did I miss it? Color, color, clarity, cut, carrots. So Eliezer, Avram says, the four C's, K's, whatever you spell it, you gotta go out, you gotta impress. If you're gonna close the shidduch, you gotta have some, the bracelet and the ring. There's all kinds of unwritten rules today. I don't know where they come from, but they bankrupt you. So you gotta go and you gotta come with the goods. So Yaakov says to himself, how in the world, my mother and father just said, you better run, your brother's gonna get you, go get married, start your family. He goes, how am I gonna start my family? I don't have anything. I don't have a penny. I have nothing. I can't buy a ring. What am I going to do? So, so um, He raised his eyes to the mountains and he said, I have no diamonds, I have no gold, I have no silver, I'm gonna have no shidduch. No, but that's the wrong thinking because my help comes from Hashem. Hashem is the creator of heaven and earth. I shouldn't panic and I shouldn't fear and I shouldn't worry. So the question is, Yaakov Avinu, this is what he's worried about, money? Yaakov Avinu, the Bechir Ha'avos, the most righteous. Yaakov Avinu, the greatest, who is the perfect combination of the best of an Avram and a Yitzchak. Yaakov, who's Yisrael, who's the real progenitor of our people, B'nai Yisrael. And this is what he's worried about? Cut, color, clarity, and carrots. That's what he's worried about. So says Rav Yerucham Levavitz, says the Gamashkiach of the Mir, in his Das Torah, on our parsha. He says, Yaakov Avinu Nakafishara Itzlavos of Avram Yitzchak. Shayachad in Bitachan and Mukhla Pagodish Borahu, also his tablos tivis. I love this insight of Ravio Rucham. You know why Yaakov said, I need the goods? Because as righteous and as virtuous as Yaakov was, he was also a realist. And he was also grounded in this world. And he also learned from his father and grandfather, who had incredible faith, unprecedented and unparalleled faith but yet understood that right next to simultaneous with our Amuna and Bitachon must be Hishtadlus. We have to put forth our effort. We have to do our part. So he said to himself, what am I going to do? I can't do my Hishtadlus. I don't have a job, I don't have an income, I'm running for my life, I'm fleeing, I don't have any money, so what am I going to do? 
I need to do hishtadlus. It's not the Jewish way to sit back passively and say, God, take care of it. We take initiative. We act. We do. That is the legacy of an Avram and a Yitzchak. Yaakov knew it, not to be a passive spectator, not to have a false or fraudulent faith in God. We have to do initiative. That's what Hashem tells the Jewish people when they're stuck between the rock and the hard place. When the Egyptians are pursuing them, the Yamsef is in front of them, and he says, Matitzak Eli, what are you doing? Stop and run. Don't talk to me. Go do Ishtadlis. You have to take initiative. So Yaakov says, Where's my help going to come from? I don't have a job. I don't have any income. I don't have any family with me. I don't have any money. Sometimes we find ourselves in a situation where you say, I'm willing and I'm prepared. I'm ready to take every initiative I can, but there's nothing more to do. I've seen every doctor. I've done every test. I've eaten, I'm even eating kale. I'm even eating kale. I'm doing everything I can. I'm taking every initiative that I can. What's left to try to do? So one could become despondent, hopeless and helpless. Follow Yaakov. Yaakov says, even when it looks like there's no initiative to take, he made the heaven and earth and he could turn heaven and earth upside down and he could create opportunities and avenues and venues that I can't even see right now. So the hishtadlis, the next initiative or act I meant to do, that I think the doors are all closed, there's no next move, there's always a next move when you realize Hashem is Osa Shemayim Va'aretz, when you realize that Hashem is absolutely in charge. When we live with Him, there's always a next move. So it's not that Yaakov Avinu, what is he, so materialistic? Yaakov Avinu, he's supposed to be so righteous, such a tzaddik, he's worried about the ring and the jewelry and the, and the bracelet and the gift for the yichud room and the set of machzorim and the list goes on and on. He's so worried, where is he going to give it off? No, Yaakov Avinu understands, and this is the Jewish way. We have bitachon and amuna, we have dvekas, we cling to Hashem, but we also have to take our eshtadlis. Ah, you might think when you run out of eshtadlis, when you run out of moves, you're done. You're never done. The Rebona Shalom can create new moves and new opportunities because he is the Osa Shemayim Va'aretz. He is the one who's in charge. Perach of Ches, I told you we'd get on past the first Pasuk. So Pasuk Yud Aleph. Next Pasuk. Vayifka b'makom v'yel ansham, ki v'ashemesh, vayikach me'avnei ha'makom v'yasem me'ashosov, v'yishka b'makom ahu. He encounters the place, he spent the night there, the sun had set, he took the stones, he arranged them around his head. We all know the Rashi. You could listen, we've spoken about the Pesukim for many, many years. Previous Parsha Shirim are all online. You can hear what we said. I'm trying to share with you all new material, Mir Tzashem, this year. So the stones gathered, they formed one, they fought, they became one. This is an allusion, a hint to the Shvatim and the Shar HaKolel. We have our differences, but we can also belong to all simultaneously, and we can overlap. We can live in all of them. What is Vayifka Bamakom? It's a very strange language. Vayifka Bamakom. He encountered God. Look at the article translation. Yaakov encountered God. What does that mean? He bumped into, he stumbled, he tripped on God. What do you mean Vayifka Bamakom? He encountered. It doesn't say God, it says Makom. It says the place. So what does that mean? This is one of the names of God, Makom. How do you know it's one of the names of God? Where else do we see it? A shiva call. Somebody sitting shiva, at least Ashkenazim, have the custom of saying, Hamakom Yenachem Eschem. Hamakom Yerachem. The Shulchan quotes of somebody is ill. We also invoke Hamakom. May the Makom, may God bring you a Rafu Shlema. May God bring you comfort. 
and solace and strength. Where else do we say Hamakom? Seder night in the Haggadah. Where do we say it in the Seder? Baruch Hamakom Baruchu. Blessed is the Makom. We're talking about God. Why do we use that name Makom? Where else do we see it? See it. It says, we just read at the end of Parshas Vayera, that Avram traveled three days for the Akedah. He brought his son to slaughter him. And Vayar es Hamakom Meirachok. Chazal tell us Makom there is not only he saw the place Harabayas where he would perform the Akedah, he saw the place, the Makom Meirachok, God. So Makom is a name for God. And here, Yaakov stumbles upon God, Vayifka, he encounters God. In fact, this is one of the words for davening. The Yalkut Shemoni has 13 synonyms for davening. Bitzur, Pegia, Rina, Tfila, Shava, Tzaka, Zaka. There are 13 synonyms in Tanakh, 13 different verbs we use for the one word that we have in English called pray. If we have 13 synonyms, it means they're not all the same. And that's why we study, we learn the entire Sefer. You can listen to it online. The Shiurim, Sha'arim Tfila, Rav Pinkas Zatzal, wrote a beautiful Sefer based on Yalkut Shemoni. There are 13 synonyms for prayer. Each one is a different form of prayer. We pray differently in the hospital at the bedside of someone terminally ill than at the bedside of a woman about to give birth. We pray differently when we've heard wonderful news than when we're desperate, desperate for salvation. Each tefillah is different. So there are different forms of tefillah, models or archetypes of tefillah. The Sharm and the uh, Yaakov Shemoni gives us no less than 13. And that beautiful Sefer Sharm B'Tefillah, which I believe has been translated now into English, spells the 13 out. And one of them is Pegiyah. We learn from Yaakov Avinu. There's a form of tefillah called Pegiyah. Vayifka Bamakom. What does it mean, Vayifka Bamakom? So Rasalavechik, Rasalavechik Chumash, the OU put out. Rasalavechik says the following The paradigmatic figure who found Hashem despite his transcendence is the Navi, Yechezkel. Yechezkel. Even though Hashem felt so far away, so distant, so inaccessible, Yechezkel found him. Why for Yechezkel did he feel so far away? Where did Yechezkel's Nevuah come? It wasn't in the Beis HaMikdash. Yechezkel did not prophesize in the land of Israel. Where was he? He was in Bavel. He was experiencing the darkness and the persecution and the oppression and the tragedy and the loss of the Babylonian exile. He was in Bavel. He was in what Rabbi Soloveitchik writes. He was in a concentration camp in the midst of the bitter Babylonian exiles. As the very first pasuk of all the Sefer Yechezkel says, he was among the captives on the river. Yechezkel was tortured. He was persecuted. He was torn and ripped with the Jewish people from our sacred Beis HaMikdash, from our homeland, from our holy place, and he was brought to Bavel. And despite that, despite the Hester Panim, Hashem felt hidden. It was a Hester Panim. It was the first Holocaust before our Shoah. There were loss of an inestimable amount, the loss of the Beis HaMikdash, the Golas Bavel. And Yechezka is living through this. He's living, and he, like all around him, are wondering, where's God? Doesn't God love us? Does he want us to suffer? Does he want us to be in pain? Where is he? And why isn't he saving us? And why isn't he preventing us? He was living through a period of Hester Ponim, of a hiddenness of God. And yet, despite that and with that, the heavens opened up, the Navi says, and Yechezkel saw a vision of God. And what does he announce? Baruch Kvod Hashem, Mim Komo. Blessed is the glory of Hashem, Mim Komo, from his place. What does from his place mean? It means when it feels like his place is far away from my place. I'm over here in this suffering, in this turmoil. I'm over here in this torment. And Mimikomo, from his place, which feels like it's far away right now, I, still, I could still bless Hashem. I see him and I feel him. 
I lean on him and I rely on him. I protest him, but I'm still grateful to him. Mimikomo, even though he feels like he's far away. So suggest of Soloveitchik, the word makom as a name for Hashem applies when Hashem feels like he's far away, when we're struggling. But we need to know that even then we can find him. Even then we can find him. Sometimes then we most find him because that's when we most need him. Sometimes it's only when we're broken do we break through to perceive him, to find him. And that's what the Rav says. That's what Avram Avinu. Hashem says, take your son, your only son, the son through whom I've promised you you're going to build a legacy. Bring him on top of the mountain and slaughter him. And Avram Avinu says, that's it? Slaughter him? It's hard to see how that makes sense. He saw Hashem, but it felt like he was far away. Four sons. Everybody thinks all four of their children are Chachamim. But sometimes one of them is a Rasha. And you say, Hashem, you feel so far away. Why am I going through this challenge with my child? Why aren't they falling in line? Why aren't they following my legacy? Why am I struggling with them in school, socially, academically? Hashem, Makom, you feel so far away. Even then we could say, Baruch HaMakom. Baruch HaMakom. Baruch Kvod Hashem Mimikoma. Vayaras HaMakom Merachok. Avram still saw him, even though Hashem felt so, felt so far away. So lastly, here too. Vayifka Bamakom. Yaakov Avinu is running for his life. He's fleeing. He says, I just want to sit in the base Medrash. I just want to sit in the corner of the base Medrash, Hashem, learning with you. I just want to fabreng with you. I just want to have a kumzitz with you. I just want to daven to you. I just want to break my teeth on the tosos and I can say some mesivas with you. What do I have to run for my life? I have no money. My brother's trying to kill me. I'm gone from my parents and I don't have WhatsApp because I'm too from or it hasn't been invented yet, but I can't even speak to them or video conference with them. I'm all alone in this world. I'm all alone. I have no money. I'm on a run for my life. Hashem, you feel so far away. And even there, vayifka bamakom. He encountered Hashem from that place. My dearest friends, sometimes we're in that place that Hashem feels so far away, He feels so hidden. We wonder where He is or why He's doing what He's doing. And we need to know that we come from a tradition. We have a Mesorah from our parents and our grandparents, many of whom walked out of the, of the shadows of the Holocaust. They walked out of absolute Gehenna on earth and Vayifgaba Makom. They found Hashem even when He felt far away. And we can too. Avram sees him Merachok. Yechezkel sees him in the exile. Yaakov finds him when he's running for his life. That is the notion of Makom. The Kotzker says, but you have to look for him. You know what else we say in Kedusha? Aye Mekom Kvodo. So we usually read it, Aye Mekom Kvodo. Where is the place of his glory? Says the Kotzker. I love this Kotzker. It was worth your coming today, not just for the coffee and the water, but for this Kotzker. Kotzker says, Aye Mekom Kvodo. You know Mekom Kvodo. You want to know where is the place of his glory? Aye, when you ask, where is he? When you look for him. When you live, aye, where is he? I'm looking for him. Aye, where are you, Hashem? I'm looking everywhere. I want to feel you everywhere. When you live asking, aye, makam kvodo, you found the place of his glory. Hashem doesn't expect us to find him. He expects us to search and seek and look for him. And when you look for him, you found him. Finding him is the act or the process of looking for him, that is finding him. Okay, Vayishkav. We said Vayishkav Avakom. He uh, put his head down. He went to sleep in that place. Says Rashi, Vayishkav Avakom. Loshen miut. Bohosam makom shachav. Aval yudalam shana shashimish beis ever. Lo shachav balada sheosik b'torah. This was the first nap he had in 14 years. 14 years. He hasn't taken a shluf in 14 years. 
He didn't stop. Someone said, Yaakov, what are you doing? He said, I haven't stopped. I haven't stopped. I've been in motion for 14 straight years. I gave a drasha several weeks ago about the phenomenon of describing ourselves as busy. Busy, crazy busy, always busy. I'm so busy, I'm crazy busy. I think I, think I mentioned in the Pasha here. That was the dust that the angels in the form of men were bringing into the house that Avram said, that's Avodah Zarah. Kicking up dust, the obsession and the addiction to busyness, that's Avodah Zarah. Wash your feet before you come in here. Slow down life. Stop pretending you're so busy. So Yaakov, Lahavdil, is so busy. What's he been so busy with? He hasn't been able to take a nap. He hasn't slept in 14 years. 14 years he hasn't slept. Why not? He's been in the yeshiva of Ever. He's been learning. He's been steiging. He's been sitting and learning for 14 straight years. He hasn't stopped to take a nap. He didn't stop for one moment, says Rashi. Now he left the yeshiva. Finally he stops and he takes a nap. The question is, he was learning the yeshiva. His parents just sent him out and they said, run for your life, your brother's going to kill you because of what you did to him. And where should you go? What should you do? Go to what? Go get married. He stops for 14 years to learn. What happened to Kibbutz Aveim? What happened to listening to your parents? Parents said, go get married. Go immediately. Go meet the Shadchanim. Go sign up on uh, whatever website. Go network. Go hang out at the wells, apparently. That's where everybody gets married. Go do what you need to do, but go get married. So instead of getting married, he's on his way to meet the Shadchan. He passes the Bismedrash of Aver and he says, let me just stop. I missed one blot Gemara. Let me just learn for one hour. 14 years later, he leaves the base medrash. Okay, I'm not going to say any comments. 14 years later, he's supposed to learn for one year. 14 years later, he leaves the base medrash. So what happened? What happened to Kibbutz Avaim? What happened to the promise that he made to his father? So if Zaid Epstein quoted him last week, the Manal of the, of the Mashkiach, of the Yeshiva of uh, Torah Or, he says the following. He says, Yaakov stopping and learning for 14 years, that was part of getting ready to get married. That wasn't an interruption to getting married. That wasn't being disobedient or dismissing his parents' charge to go get married. In order to be ready to get married, he wanted to sit and learn for 14 years. Now, why did he need those 14 years to sit and learn? So he also quotes this vort, Zedel Epstein, but Yaakov and Emes Yaakov also says this. This I did say previously, because I think it's important. Why did, why did Yaakov, he needed 14 years in the yeshiva of Ever? Whose home did he just come from? What yeshiva was he in all of his life until now? For 60 plus years, he's been learning in the base medrash of, of Yitzchak. Now he needs to stop and learn in the base medrash of Aver after he was in the base medrash of Yitzchak. So Yaakov Kamenetsky, Zedel Epstein, they both say, say it's a very different base medrash. Yitzchak is the base medrash of wholesome clarity, comfort, security, safety. The base medrash of Aver is a place of how do you get ready to go integrate into the world? How do you bring the values of Torah? How do you bring the values of Hashem into the workplace, into the street, into the supermarket, into the gym, into the world? Aver was a person who had to live through a period of upheaval and chaos. He was exposed to moral corruption and depravity. So Yitzchak was a cocoon. The Beis Medrash Yaakov had grown up in was a cocoon. It was protective. He wasn't exposed to the world. You're getting ready to go live with a Lavan? You're going to marry Lavan's daughters and you're going to go live with a Lavan? You need 14 years in the yeshiva of Aver. You need to learn how to live with a trickster, how to live among corruption, how to navigate and guide through a world. You need to learn how to be a ben Torah for life. You need to learn how to be a ben Torah for life. Okay, he wakes up from this dream. Let's keep going. He wakes up from this dream. Pasuk says, moving along. 
he's sleeping, he has a dream. By the way, I'll just leave this for you as a question because I have thoughts. I saw a medrash for the first time this year. It says, The angels of God are going up and down bow. Translate the word bow. On it. What's it? So the simple understanding always was, what are the angels ascending and descending on? The ladder. But the medrash says, not bow is not the ladder. Bow is Yaakov. They're ascending and descending on Yaakov. There's a drush in there. I'm still looking for it. I have some ideas. We are supposed to be the platform for the angels. We are the medium. We are the vehicle through which the angels interact in this world. They should ascend and descend on us. I'm not ready yet to present it to you. I'm thinking about it. But I present it to you to think about too, with me. And I'm, I'm, let me know your suggestions. But it's fascinating, right? Olimviar Dimbo. The word bow can mean the latter, or the word bow could mean Yaakov Avinu himself ascending and descending from Yaakov. So he has this dream, we all know the dream. What's the significant? The bridge of heaven and earth that he wakes up, he says, I didn't know Hashem was here. I, maybe I would never have gone to sleep. Achein, Hashem is here, I didn't even know. So Vayikatz, he wakes up. Perachav Ches, Pasuk Tes Zayin. Turn the page, 146. Vayikatz, Yaakov Mishnah. So he wakes up, Vayomer, and he says, Achein Yesh Hashem HaMakom HaZevanoch Leyadati. Wow, I thought God was only in the base medrash. I thought God was only in the shul. I didn't realize that I can find him in the world too. Aye, if I look for him, makom kvodo, I can make the place of his glory wherever I am. I had no idea. I had no idea. So back to the Kotzker. I told you I got this beautiful safer from my friend Mendy. Kotz, Emes Ve'amuna. Says the Kotzker the following. Vayikatz mishnaso. Esahevdo ben Yehudi legoi nitein liros bekumo mishnaso. You want to know the difference between a Jew and a non-Jew? I wouldn't frame it that way. I'd frame it, you want to know the difference between a righteous person and an unrighteous person? Yaakov kishemis orer mishnaso, miyad, o lamed, o mispalo. When Yaakov wakes up, there are two options. You wake up, you jump out of bed to go learn at a daven, to constructively contribute to the world. Vayomer achin yesh Hashem. So he wakes up, he gets out of bed, and he says, wow, that was a great dream, or that was a great shluf. Oh, wow, am I energized? I can't wait to go daven. I can't wait to go learn. I can't wait to go do chesed. What does Paro do when he wakes up? He woke up. And then, You know what he does? Snooze. Back to sleep. Yaakov wakes up and he jumps out of bed. The Shulchanach begins the very first halacha. Halacha. Shulchanach doesn't record nice ideas. Shulchan Aruch is not a Tony Robbins motivational talk. Shulchan Aruch is the halacha. This is the law. And the law is jump out of bed roaring like a lion. That's the halacha. The halacha is don't snooze 15 times and don't turn over 14 times and don't have three people have to come wake you. That's not the halacha. The halacha is jump up and out of bed like a lion. Like a lion. Greet the day like a lion. Yaakov, you see the contrast says the Kotzker between the way that Yaakov wakes up to greet the day and between the way Paro wakes up. Paro wakes up, snoozes back to sleep. By the way, his dream was so disturbing, Paro, that when he wakes up, he gets an interpreter. He goes through a whole list and litany of interpreters, none to satisfaction until Yosef comes. He was so bothered by the dream, so jarred, he's, he's so, so shaken by the dream that he needs an interpreter. But he's not so shaken that he doesn't first go back to sleep. So Paro wakes up, just a few more minutes. Just a few more snoozes. Just a little more sleep. Yaakov wakes up and he says, Ah, roars like a lion. 
to go, oh, yesh Hashem b'makom hazeh. Hashem is here, let's go. Let's go, Hashem. I'm ready. Let's go. Moda'ani l'fanecha. So way, I'm so grateful to be alive. Let's go, says the Kotzker. You see the difference between the way Yaakov wakes up and the way that Parah wakes up. Perachav ches pasuk chaf. Vayidor Yaakov neder lemor. So he wakes up and he builds a matzeva and he names the place and then he makes a deal with God. Let's make a deal. It's time for let's make a deal. Hosted by Yaakov Avinu. Vayidor Yaakov neder lemor. Im yihiyel God, I had such a good dream about you. Yeah, you promised me, like my father, my grandfather, you'd be with me. Now I had a good dream, and now I woke up feeling your presence. See, here's the deal, God. You ready, God? Let's make a deal. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. If I feel that you're with me, and I feel that you accompany with me, you guard me, you protect me, I feel you're in my life. God, give my kids shaduchim. Have everyone in my sphere be healthy. Give me a parnasa. Let me drive as nice a car as my neighbor. Then, I want to be able to wear the same fashion. I want to dress my kids in all the expensive designer clothing. I want to make sure I get the bracelet, the ring with the carrots and the clarity and the color and the cut. And if I have all that, and I can return home comfortable. I can return home happy. I can return home wealthy. I can return home with everything. Then, then I'll make you my God. What do you say, God? How's that for a deal? You take care of everything I want, everything I need, everything I long for, everything I hope. If you take care of me, God, I'll take care of you. Let's make a deal, God. You want to be in my life? Here's how you can be in my life. I will have you in my life. You'll be in my life and you'll be for me a God. Here's the deal. If what? If you do all these things for me. What kind of let's make a deal with God? What kind of let's make a deal with God? So we're not going to deal with that question. We've dealt with it previously. Is he really making a deal? This is a promise. It sounds like a deal. What's really going on? We've dealt with it previously. Listen online. But I want to raise a different question. Yaakov was already promised by Hashem. Hashem said, I got your back. Stick with me. Stick with me, young man. I've got your back. He was promised. All's going to be well and good. You're going to come home. You're going to have a family. You're going to build a family. It's going to be amazing. So why is he davening? If Hashem said, you got it, you're all promised and it's all good to go, why is he davening? Yaakov received the promise that all of his dreams and aspirations would be answered. So we have to understand. So why when he's offering the sacrifice, who Mary says, You got a promise. Not only does it seem to be rude or offensive that he's challenging God by let's make a deal, but it's even more so. It's even more so. You tell your child, here's the deal, I'm gonna buy that thing for you. Or I've got back, I'm gonna take you on that trip. And they say, you know, let's make a deal. Or I want you to promise, or I want you to write it in a contract. You say, what are you, I'm your father, what are you talking about? I'm telling you I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. You're showing that you're worried, you're expressing the doubt whether I'll follow through and do what I promise is in fact disrespecting the whole relationship. So how could Yaakov disrespect Hashem by inserting any sense of doubt Hashem, let's make a deal. Hashem already made a promise. So the great Mashkiach of Hebron, Rav Meir Chadash, he says, Yaakov Avinu is teaching us, this appears in Meir Nesivas al Torah. He says, Meir Nesivas al Torah. He says, that Yaakov is teaching us a very important principle, which is the power of tefillah. That, Gam acharei avtachash la kashbaruchu, Gam kishabakashosu tiskabel, 
בכל אופן אין להרפוס מהתפילה. שהעבודת והתפילה לעולם לא נגמרת. Because even when there is a storehouse that's filled with blessing for us, the key to open it and the key to access it is davening. So even when Hashem has made that promise, Yaakov Avinu says, I, I accept that you made a promise. I believe that you've set aside these blessings for me. But in order to access them, in order to receive them, in order to transfer those blessings into your account, is davening. The power of tefillah. Vayifka b'amakom, he davens, and he wakes up and he offers a korban and he says, Hashem, this is a tefillah. Vayidar Yaakov neder lemor. Meir Chadosh is clearly understanding, as many do, that it's not a condition, it's not let's make a deal with God, that it's a tefillah, it's a prayer. He's offering a prayer to Hashem. Hashem, I want you in my life, and this is the ways in which I need you in my life, and I'm hoping you'll come through and give me these things in my life. And he's not worried that Hashem is going to say, buddy, what are you wasting your words and your breath? I already promised you. He's saying, this is so meaningful to me. This is the conversation. This is the communication. This is the expression of faith. This is how you open the storehouse. I've said it a million times. I'll say it a million and one, because the mashal that I think about when I try to understand this, in that Sefer, I told you, Sha'aram B'Tfila, Rav Pinkus, in the introduction to the Sefer, talks about this also. That tefillah is the key that opens the Shefa Bracha. Just like in Parshas Breshis, it says Hashem created the whole world. He created the whole ecological cycle, saturation, moisture, water, clouds, and the fact that uh, they would turn into rain. It was all there, but he didn't press start. He didn't press go. Because man had not yet been created. So Rashi says, so what? He says there was no one to ask for it. So even though it was all there and it was all ready to go, it couldn't be set in motion until somebody asked. So Pinkus talks about Nakdam in the introduction to that Sefer, Sha'aram B'Tefillah. Why? Why did Hashem create a world such as that? So I think about that as winning the lottery. Even when you've won the lottery and you're holding the winning ticket, you got to turn in the ticket to get the winnings. You can't simply feel just because I have the ticket, now the money's in my account. You've got to still turn in the ticket. Tefillah is our turning in the ticket. There are all kinds of winnings that we have. Hashem has Shefa Bracha. He has all kinds of blessings. He has an abundance of blessings waiting for us. But He's waiting for us to ask. Do we not relate to that with our own children? Do we not have incredible kindness and generosity we want to show them? But we want them to ask why? Because we're egomaniacs? Because we're so self-centered? Because we're so arrogant and power-hungry? We say, Kinderlach, my closet's filled with presents. Kinderlach, my bank account is filled with guilt I want to give you on Hanukkah or trips I want to take or send you on, or dinners I want to be able to host you for. But I'm not giving it to you until you ask. You know why? Power trip, ego, of course not. Parents say, because I want that relationship, I want that connection. I want you to feel a bond. So I want you to ask, I want you to appreciate, I want you to feel grateful, because that's what we felt from our parents, and that's our responsibility to teach and to transmit humility and gratitude so we say, I have all kinds of bracha, but you need to ask. I'll give you the most basic form. Do we not hold out a little piece of chocolate, a little piece of candy to the child, and they want to grab it, we say, ah, ah, what's the magic word? Please, may I have the candy? Please, can I have the chocolate? What are we, egomaniacs, arrogant, crazy people? They can't have it until they say, please, can I have it? No, we're trying to teach. You say, please, you say, thank you, you show gratitude, you express courtesy. So Yibbana Shalom is the same way with us. You see from here, such a powerful lesson of Yaakov, that even though it's been promised the blessings, the lottery winnings are there, the chocolate and the candy, Hashem's holding it. He says, just ask please and I'll give it to you, but I'm not going to give it to you until you say please. So we daven, we say please. Three times a day we say please. I know you have bracha. I know you have blessings ready for me and my family. Please, 
Please, I'm ready. I'm waiting. Please share them. Perach of Tes Pasuk Zayin. Moving right along. So Yaakov began towards the land of the Easterners. He looked up and there was a well. Always a bear. Always a bear. A well. A well. There was a large stone, a large rock on top of the well, and uh, everybody was gathered around it, and it was the middle of the day. Yaakov comes and he says, Hey, brothers. Yaakov was a hippie. How do you know Yaakov was a hippie? Because he calls them brothers. Hey, brothers. Thank you, Penny. Hey, brothers, where are you from? They said, we're from Haran. So he says, you know Nachor? Yeah, we know Nachor. Says, Shalom lo? Shalom. Oh, yeah, he's doing well. And here's his daughter, Rachel. She's coming with the flock. So he looks at these shepherds and he says, hey, brothers, you see that sun? It hasn't set. It's not five o'clock. What are you doing? Day's not over. Get back to work. You're getting paid for a day's work. Now, if I'm the shepherd, what do I do? I punch Yaakov in the nose. I'm the shepherd, I say, I, I met you three seconds ago. You're giving me musr? You're rebuking me? You're coming at me? How could it be? You're giving me, you're giving me musr? So, so um, what do you see from here? Why was Yaakov able to do it without getting punched in the face? Because he first called the machai. He said, you're my brother. He made a connection. He made a bond. He had a unity. He said, we're brothers. I'm your brother. You're my brother. And when you create a platform and a foundation that we're brothers, that I care about you, now I can point out something I think you should be doing. But when all I do is reject and rebuke and criticize and complain, but I haven't introduced it first with Achai, that we're brothers, then you can't get away with it. Yaakov says Achai. Here's another question for you. I'm sharing Devei Torah, and today I'm sharing, I'm throwing at you some questions for you to think about. Here's another question I saw. I'm not going to share the answer, I want you to think about it. Yaakov Avinu, we know now the text tells us that all these shepherds can't lift the stone from the top of the well. But Yaakov sees Rachel, he says, she's the one for me. And he musters this enormous strength. He has this adrenaline rush and he's able to lift the rock, the stone, all by himself. Yaakov is incredibly strong. If Yaakov is so incredibly strong, I wonder, why didn't he express the strength to stay home and fight Esav? Why is he worried that Esav is going to defeat him? Why is he worried Esav is going to kill him? Yaakov's a superhero tears open his shirt, he's got a big Y. He's a superhero, he's able to lift that rock. He has this adrenaline rush. Yaakov, the superhero, comes out of the phone booth and he saves the day. And Rachel marries him and they live happily ever after. So for that moment, he's able to muster that strength. For that moment, he's able to find that superhuman strength. Where was that superhuman strength? When Eliphaz comes to kill him, Esau's son, when he gives him all of his money. We have several stories in the Torah where Yaakov seems sort of meek and passive. What happened to that adrenaline rush? Where is that strength? When does Yaakov choose to use the strength? He has the power. With great power comes great responsibility. So when does Yaakov choose to use the power? And when does he not use the power? If he was able to use it here, why didn't he use it in the other cases or the other circumstances as, as well? Okay, that is a question for you. So he gives them this Musr, Achai, Sapanovich Rav, Rabbi Yosef Kahanaman. Panovacharov is the one who said, look at that word, achai. That is the answer to your question. He doesn't get beaten up because he first says, achai. You are my brothers, and that is what protects him. That is what protects him. Okay, I'm keeping an eye on the clock today. It's a new day. Okay, moving right along. So Yaakov meets Rachel. He's very smitten. He's very taken by her. And he goes home with her to meet, to meet Lavan. 
And we know the whole story. Vaishak Yaakov Larachli kisses her, he cries, and uh, he learns who she is. And they go and they tell her father, Lavanirs, and he greets him. We have the whole story unfolding. Go to Perach of Tes Zayin, chapter 29, verse 17, page 150. Now we're introduced. Lavan has two daughters. The older one is Leah, the younger one is Rachel. And there's a lot of literature in Halacha, believe it or not, about can a younger sibling get married before the older sibling? Must they honor the older sibling by waiting to get married? Is it Halacha? Is it a Minag? We derive it from here. Must they delay and wait? Interesting discussions within the Halacha. So two, two young women, Leah the older, Rachel the younger. Torah now tells us, Leah rakos, the eyes of Leah are rakos, her eyes were rakos. Art girl translates that they were tender, while Rachel was beautiful of form and beautiful of appearance. So Leah is depicted here as being somewhat homely. Leah is depicted as being somewhat unattractive, her eyes. And Rachel, oh, Rachel, she's beautiful. Rachel is a beautiful young lady. It's an amazing chesam sofer. Look at Unglos. Unglos says on the words, Ve'ene Leah rakos. The eyes of Leah are rakos. What does Unklos write? Ve'ene Leah ya'in. Ve'ene Leah ya'in. Which means what? The eyes of Leah are beautiful. Now Rashi says, we're much more familiar with that. Rashi says, Leah's eyes were were teary. They were tender. She thought that she was going to be paired with Esav. She spent her entire childhood crying. She was broken. She cried all day and all night because she said, this is my lot. This is my fortune. This is my shidduch. This will be my partner with whom I grow old. These will be my children. They'll share his DNA. She did not stop crying. Sam Sofer points out it's a contradiction. Never noticed this before. It's a contradiction. On the one hand, Unklish translates her eyes were beautiful. On the other hand, we all know the tradition, her eyes were ugly because she cried all day. They were teary and tender and red. Her eyes were, were unattractive because all she did was cry all day. So which is it? Was she beautiful or did she cry all day? So Chassam Sofer says, listen to this. It's in the Chedusha Chassam Sofer, Sukkah Daf Lamed Vav Amin Aleph, and in Orachayim Simen Kuf Mem Aleph Sif Yud Gimel. And you'll ask, why would the, the Chassam Sofer, Moshe Sofer of Pressburg, why would he have this insight on the Gemara and on the Shulchan Aruch? Why not on Parshas Vayetze? So listen carefully. This is fantastic. Says the Chassam Sofer, it's not a contradiction. Leah's eyes were tender from crying, and that is incredibly beautiful. That Leah was so bothered that she'd be with an Esav, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful thing. Because many would say, Esav, okay, so Esav's not the biggest masman in the class. Esav didn't win the Tzaddik Award, the Tamil Chacham Award. Esav didn't win the Ben Torah Derech Eretz Award. But Esav's a hunter. He's the man. See the kind of car he drives? See the clothing he wears? When he walks into a room, you see the power that he wields? So, okay, that's my fortune, that's my lot. I'll live with him. Leah cries. She says, such a Russia Marusha. Rishar Marurim, that's who I'm going to be matched with and paired with and live with. She can't stop crying. Says the Chassam Sofer, there's nothing more beautiful than that. It's a spiritually beautiful thing to be unhappy and dissatisfied by being exposed to anything less than righteousness. So it's very sad for Leah. We'll talk about that in a moment. Although, thank God for Leah, it turns out pretty well. She ends up with Yaakov. First, she ends up with the most children. She ends up, I've shared this before, Leah, all she wants in the world is 
to be Yaakov's wife. And Rachel, all she wants in the world is to be a mother. And they both in this lifetime seem miserable not to have what they want. But if you think about them for eternity, for eternity, Leah is buried right next to Yaakov. And Rachel is Rachel Imenu. In this world, neither got what they wanted right away. But for eternity, both got exactly what they want. Rachel, in perpetuity, is Rachel Imenu, Mama Rachel. She is the mother of the Jewish people. She is the ultimate mother, the ultimate mama. And Leah, for eternity, is in Marasa Machpelah with Yaakov, not Rachel. So in this world, neither seem to get what they want, but for eternity, both get exactly what they want. So it turned out okay for Leah, but she didn't know it. So she cried. She cried because she was spiritually dissatisfied. She spiritually had an ambition and a drive that she thought would never be met. She thought she was going to end up with Esav. So she cried. And that in itself is beautiful. What does that have to do with sukkah? What does that have to do with Shulchan Aruch? So says the Chassam Sofer, a huge Chiddush. He says, what happens when an esrog, an esrog that has a blemish, an esrog that looks worn out, is not mahudr. It's not a beautiful esrog. It's not an ideal esrog. It won't sell for a lot of money. But what happens if the reason it got worn out is because of its usage? So the Chassam Sofer says, Im nishtana b'chag machmas mishmo shal mitzvah hu kosher. Adraba ma'alaso goveras. He says, though the Shulchan Aruch writes that an esrog that is a different color before sukkah is no good. An esrog whose color changes on sukkah because of its usage, not only is that not no good, that's such a beautiful esrog. It's not nearly as pretty, but the reason it's not pretty is because it was being used for a mitzvah that is pretty, that is beautiful. So Leah's eyes were homely because she had cried, but the reason she cried is because she couldn't bear to think she'd be with Esav, that's beautiful. The esrog, which is worn out and changed colors, not because before sukkah it was mishandled, but because on sukkah it was used for a mitzvah, that is muhudr. Isn't that beautiful? It's not kishmak. Another Behuda says the same thing on, on the halachas of shaving on cholamoid. The Mishnah says that we don't shave on cholamoid. Why? Because in the old days, you didn't shave every day. So you were rushing for the last few days before Yantav to get ready, and on Erev Yantav rushing to get ready, and you didn't have time to shave, but you said, you know what? I'm running in the door from work, no time, Sukkah's not ready, Pesach and Matzah's not, ra- not ready, I have no time, What's gonna, what am I gonna cross off the list I can't do right now? Shave. Cholamoid, I'm not working. Cholamoid, I'll shave. So the halach is, so that you don't enter the Yantav Minuval, so as not to enter the Yantav looking unshaven, unkept, you, halach is that you're not allowed to shave on chalamoid. And by not being able to shave on chalamoid, then you'll shave before the yontif and you'll come into the yontif looking good. So they asked the Nodi Behuder, okay, but now what about the last days of yontif? Now you come into the last days of yontif because you can't shave on chalamoid so that you'll shave for the first days, but now you come into the last days of, chalamo- of yontif not shaving. Says the Nodi Behuda, there's nothing more beautiful than looking unshaven because you were honoring the first days of yontif. The same Yisod. So this Chiddush, in the contradiction, Uncle says Leah's eyes were beautiful. Translates Rakosa's beautiful. Rashi says Leah's eyes were ugly. She didn't stop crying. It's a contradiction. Chassam Sofer says it's not a contradiction. They were ugly from crying, but the reason for her crying makes them beautiful. Says the Chassam Sofer, an esrog, which is worn out and changed colors from its usage for a mitzvah, nothing more beautiful. Being unshaven for the last days of Yantif, because you wanted to come into the first days of Yantif, looking shaven, nothing more beautiful. 
I'm much more excited apparently than any of you about this insight, but I think it's a fantastic insight with a credible application in the halacha. It's really exciting. I love it. Perachav test pasachav. Moving along. This is also a famous idea. Revelio Lopian in his Levelio says, what do you mean? It says that Yaakov worked for Rachel seven more years and they went by like a few days. It's the opposite. When you're excited and looking forward to something, I finally today booked my trip to Eretz Yisrael. In December, Mir Hashem. Can't wait to go. I haven't been in two years. It's the longest I've gone since my year in Israel, not being in Israel. Aside from the fact that I have children and grandchildren in Israel, I'm desperate to go. I'm so excited. So it's December. It's a month away. It's torturous. Every day is going to feel like a thousand years until I can go. So what does it mean that Yaakov worked for Rachel seven more years and they went flying by like they were a few days? What does that mean? So Velio Lopian says, if you're doing something for you, then the time that it takes to get there feels like forever. But if what you're doing is for the other person, then time flies by even while you have to wait to do it. And he gives a mushal. He says, you know, a person says, I love fish. I love fish. I love, I love salmon. I love... Uh... Now, what am I thinking? What are they? Sea bass. I love sea bass. I love fish. Says Revelagopian, you don't love fish. If you love fish, you throw it back in the sea. You love you. That's why you killed the fish and it's sitting on your plate. You don't love the fish. So when you say, I love fish, don't say, I love fish. Say, I love my stomach. I love my boich. I love my taste buds. Fish is what allows me to satisfy my boich and my taste buds. Eino avis adagim, avis atzmo. Torah seinu akadosha, Torah emesi. So when the Torah says that Yaakov didn't love himself. I love myself and I really like being around Rachel. So because I love myself and I want to be around Rachel, I'll work seven more years, but now it feels like forever. I love her means I really love her, which means that every moment of work that I'm putting in is for her. So because what I'm doing is selfless is for her, it goes flying by, it goes flying by. When we're doing it for us, time goes in slow motion. When we're doing it for the other, time goes flying by. And this is a big insight into marriage. It's a big insight into marriage. In marriage, are we in it for ourselves? What we can get out of it? Is it a selfish marriage or is it selfless? We love the other. Is our spouse like a piece of fish? I say I love them, but I really love them because they are the ones who prepare for me the fish. That's why I love them or they earn the money, or they take out the garbage, or they gave me these children, or they make me not feel alone. I love them because of what does for me, or is it because I love them? I love them. The love is really about them. So that's what Eliopian says, because Yaakov loved her. Not he loved himself and she was a means of how he loves himself. He loves her. So when we love ourselves, time goes slowly. When we love the other, time can go flying by, as it did in this parashish year, making us out of time. I'll tell you one other thing. We're out of time, mamish. So sad, because I wanted to walk you through the whole... I will save it for next year, but I want to walk you through the whole following. You know, Leah, when Reuven comes in with the Dudaim, Reuven collects these... something that grows out in the field that has a fertility benefit. And Rachel says, ooh, that's a fertility drug in it. Let me have some. And Leah turns to Rachel and says the most absurd thing of all time. It's not enough that you took my husband. Now you want to take my flower bouquet? And how does Rachel respond? If I'm Rachel, you know what I do? I punch Leah in the nose. 
literally or metaphorically. I finally blow it. I finally lose it. That's the straw that breaks my back because I say, are, are you kidding me? I took your husband? Do you know what I gave up? Do you know how long I waited? Do you know how far I went to give the simanim? Are you crazy? Are you kidding me? Does Rachel say that? What does she say instead? She says nothing. There's an amazing medrash that talks about the merit of shtika, of saying nothing, of being quiet, of being tzanua, of keeping it to ourselves. But I'll share with you next year, there's a lot of evidence and there's a lot of beautiful insights that come out from the fact and the likelihood that Leah probably never knew that Rachel was supposed to go first. Leah probably never knew. How could she never know? Yaakov certainly never told her. Who else never told her? Rachel probably never told her that she gave the simanim. Probably never told her that she really was the number two pick in the draft. She probably never ever told her. And that's why Leah could say that and that's why Rachel could not react. And there's a lot of insights that come out this way. So I'll share you, I'll close just by sharing with you one. The next Pasuk Pasuk Lamed says, Lamed says, Vayahav gamas Rachel mi Yaakov loves Rachel mi So the simple taich, the simple understanding is, Yaakov loves Rachel more than he loves Leah. But listen to what Rav Avram Chaim of Zlotchev says, the Orach Lachaim. He says, and I thank my friend Ari Merzov for this, Rabbi Ari Merzov, what made him fall in love with Rachel is from Leah. From the fact that Rachel gave the simanim, from the fact that Rachel never told Leah, made Rachel the most attractive person on earth. Why did Yaakov fall in love? Because of her picture on the resume? Because of her father's bank account? Because of the yichas? No. You know why Yaakov fell in love with Rachel? Vayahav gamas Rachel mi Not more than Leah, but mi From the way Rachel interacted with Leah, mi From the way Rachel interacted with Leah, vayahav. That's what made him fall in love. Her midos tovos, her character, her quality, her tzniyas, her modesty, her humility, her unparalleled chesed, Mileya, from what she didn't tell Leah, that's what made him attracted to her. That's what it means to be attractive to others. A lot to learn about Shiduchim, about Chesed, about marriage. But alas, yet again, we are out of time. Text 22828 REG, the letters REG to 22828. You'll be signed up to get the Parsha notes in your inbox as well as our newsletter. Join us tomorrow morning. 10 minutes of meaning, Mr. Sasharam. Women are invited to Living with Amuna. Great coffee and snacks. Living with Amuna, 845 in the social hall. Tomorrow night we go behind the beam with Jamie Geller and have a fantastic day. Stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.